You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. This morning we're continuing our three-week series on repent and be baptised and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit based on Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and I've given it the title First Steps in the Christian Life. So last week we were talking about what it means to repent, why we should repent, how we can repent, how important it is that we should turn from the things we've done wrong and get changed completely by the power of God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. So today we're going to talk about baptism. And I think most of you will know that there are different methods of baptism in churches today. Largely speaking, two kinds. Infant baptism, which is usually done by sprinkling, and then believer's baptism, which is done by immersion or dipping into the water. And so I'm going to begin by asking the question, which kind is right? And I think we need to say there are two issues here. Firstly, should it be by sprinkling or by immersion? And should it be for infants or for believers? Now, before I get into this, maybe it's... And so we are influenced by those decisions and we assume that uh, the one we've grown up with is right. I'm not happy with that microphone right down there, that's all. Thank you. No? Will it not tighten up? You'll be able to edit this out of the thing, no doubt. Yeah, good. So I'm, I'm asking a question, which kind is right? And I want us to do it in the right spirit and not sound too um, dismissive of people who hold a different view. Um, but in this church, we certainly take the Bible as the basis for what we believe. And uh, so I'm going to be fairly strong in the way I say things. And what I want to say is that I do respect the views of other people, uh, though I strongly disagree with them. What I'm trying to say is... What I'm trying to say is I acknowledge their sincerity in what they believe and in what they practice. And uh, so I'll just leave it there. But I just wanted to make that sort of gentle comment at the beginning. So I don't want to sound as though I'm condemning those who hold a different view. But I am going to say, if you take the Bible as the basis for what you believe, it's absolutely impossible to come out with a different view than this. You either decide in church tradition as teaching you what you believe, or you decide that it's the Bible that teaches you what you believe. And we stand for what the Bible has to say. So let's now move into this. We're talking about which kind is right. I'm going to give you uh, two reasons when we talk about sprinkling or immersion. Um, firstly, I'm going to suggest and say very clearly that the only way to be baptised is to be dipped right under the water. If you haven't been baptised that way, in Bible terms, you haven't been baptised at all. And I'm giving you two reasons for this. Firstly, the original meaning of the word baptism. In the Greek language, baptizo can mean I submerge, I overwhelm, or I immerse in water it can never mean sprinkle 
If a Greek person wanted to say, and this is going back 2,000 years and it's still true today, if a Greek wants to say, I sprinkle, he would say, rantidzo. He wouldn't say, baptizo. So if Jesus had wanted his disciples to be sprinkled, he would have commanded them to be rantized, not to be baptized. It's simply a question of the meaning of the word. Now, the word rantizo is a Bible word. You'll find it in 1 Peter 1.2 and Hebrews 12.24. And basically, it's used to refer to sprinkling with the blood of Christ. So the sprinkling of the blood of Christ symbolically means our cleansing from sin. Okay. So I say again, if you've only been sprinkled, however, well, if it was done as a baby, it wasn't your decision. But uh, however sincere you may have been when you were sprinkled, if you were older, you haven't really been baptized simply because to be baptized means to be immersed. In Greece today, all baptisms are by immersion, even those who baptize babies. They do it by immersion. Why do you think that is? Because the Greeks know what their language means. Baptizo means I immerse. They wouldn't think of sprinkling. So that's the first reason, the Bible meaning, uh, the original meaning of the word. And the second reason I'm going to give you are what I've called New Testament examples of baptism. Uh, just look at a few here. John baptized, we are told, in Matthew 3, 6 and in Mark 1, 5 and 9 in the River Jordan. Now, if he had simply been sprinkling people, I assume he would have done so on the banks of Jordan and not in it. You don't need to get into the river to sprinkle somebody. He was baptizing in the Jordan. And that's why he baptized at Enon. We're told very clearly in John 3.23, John baptized at Enon because there was plenty of water there. Well, you don't need plenty of water to sprinkle people. All right. Matthew 3.16, this is now talking about the baptism of Jesus, which we'll turn to a little bit later on. We're told that Jesus went up out of the water after his baptism. So clearly, he must have gone down into the water for him to be able to come up out of the water. Jesus' baptism was by immersion. Similarly, in Acts 8.38, when uh, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, we are told that both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And then it says, when they had come up out of the water. The picture is very clear. Look at New Testament examples where there's a description. It's always clearly immersion. And then, of course, and we'll come to this a bit later on as well, in Romans 6, baptism is a picture of burial. Paul tells us that we are dead to sin when we become Christians, and so we should be buried, and we're buried in baptism. More of that later. So then, you don't sprinkle people when you bury them. It wouldn't be sufficient. We cover them. Quite simple. So all the biblical imagery which describes what baptism is makes it very clear that it is by immersion. Let's move on. Infants or believers. 
The Bible's quite clear on this point as well. Now, there's no statement made as to how old a person ought to be before they are baptised, though some churches seem to have put some rules on it, but uh, that's not to be found in the Bible. Um, but we are told that baptism should happen after repentance and faith. Let's go back to the verse which is the basis for this series, Acts 2.38. Preaching to the crowd on the day of Pentecost, Peter declared, repent and be baptized. Not be baptized and repent, but repent and be baptized. First repentance, then and only then, baptism. When Jesus gave the disciples the great commission, he told them in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. See, belief precedes baptism there. Same again in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus told them to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So, very, very clearly, the scriptural conditions for baptism are repentance, faith, and becoming a disciple, becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, if that's the case... Clearly, the possibility of babies being baptized is completely ruled out, especially when you bear in mind that there isn't a single example of infant baptism anywhere in the Bible. So can you see why we believe in believers' baptism by immersion? Now that does bring us to the question, why did some sections of the church start baptizing babies? And I don't have time to go into that in any great detail today. If you want to read more on it, I have said a bit more in my book, You'd Better Believe It, in the chapter on baptism. But very, very quickly, a belief arose quite early in the church that to be saved, you had to be baptized. It's something we call baptismal regeneration. You can't be saved if you are not baptized. And uh, that's why some of the Corinthians, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, were baptizing people on behalf of the dead. Their loved ones who'd believed in Jesus hadn't been baptized. Oh, well, I'll get baptized on their behalf. Now, Paul doesn't actually recommend that. He just comments that some of you are doing it. Interesting. Incidentally, the Mormons do that. But why have I mentioned that? Simply because it illustrates the fact that very early on there was this belief, oh, I've got to be baptized to be saved. And that's the doctrine, as I say, of uh, baptismal regeneration. Okay, now how can I be sure that um, that's a wrong doctrine? Well, I'll just give you a couple of biblical examples, and that is the repentant thief as he was dying on the cross at the same time as Jesus Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, the important thing is the repentance. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism, and obviously the repentant thief had no opportunity to be baptized. He was being crucified. But baptism is the outward sign that you've been washed from your sins, that you've been cleansed. Uh, the inward thing is the important thing the fact that you've repented. So the repentant thief was saved but not baptized. And uh, there is an example in Acts 8 of a man who probably wasn't saved but was baptized. 
And that's the example of Simon the sorcerer. Uh, and you may remember that uh, it does say he believed and was baptized with all the other Samaritans, but it's very clear to me that uh, he hadn't really repented. Um, there was something wrong somewhere because he starts to offer money to Peter in order that he might have the gift of uh, praying for people to receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter says to him, don't take my words for it, Peter says, you are in the bond of iniquity. Well, you're not in the bond of iniquity if you're saved. You've been set free from it. So it's possible to be baptized and not to be saved. It's possibly saved and not to be baptized. But with a high infant mortality rate, as it was in those days, I mean, we don't realize today with all the amazing uh, means there are at our disposal, certainly in our society, uh, most babies survive. But in those days, of course, there was a much higher infant mortality rate. So the idea was, well, we better get them baptized quick to make sure they go to heaven. And that sort of belief still continues in certain parts of the church today. I repeat, I have no doubt that it is sincerely held, but you can be sincere and be mistaken. And so I want to treat, preach the truth of God's word. Baptism in the Bible, what Jesus commands us to do is by immersion and it's for believers only. So let's move to the main theme of what I want to say this morning. Why is it important for a Christian to be baptized? Especially if, as I've just said, you can actually go to heaven without being baptized. Sure, the repentant thief did. Well, I'm going to give you five, six reasons. Firstly, because Jesus was baptized. Now, we won't take time to read the account. You can find it in uh, Matthew in, in some length and in Luke in some length as well. Uh, but Matthew three thirteen to 17 is a good example of it. And uh, we know that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. Now, in John 12 and verse 26, Jesus said that if we serve him, we must follow him. 1 Peter 2.21 tells us that we should follow in the steps of Jesus. So if you take those verses seriously, you can see quite clearly that as Christians, we should follow Christ's example. We seek to follow his example as closely as we possibly can. So since Jesus was baptized, it follows that we should be. Second reason. To fulfill all righteousness. It might sound a little bit strange, but that's a phrase that Jesus actually used. When Jesus asked John the Baptist to baptize him, John protested, I'm not worthy to baptize you. should be the other way around. And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Strange. To fulfill all righteousness. Now, Jesus was sinless. The Bible is very clear. He did no sin. He knew no sin. He was completely innocent. And yet, when he's baptized, he says he's fulfilling all righteousness. I'm not going to try and tease that out any further, except to say that if Jesus, who was sinless, felt it necessary to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness, to do God's perfect will for him, perhaps, he clearly felt that he wouldn't have remained completely righteous if he hadn't been baptized. Wow. I'll put it in another way. It was a good thing to do, so he did it. Setting the example for us. 
And you know, and I mentioned this last week when talking about repentance, James 4.17 says, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Wow, a sin of omission, if you like. So if Jesus felt that he needed to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, how much more ought we to be baptized? Reason number three, probably the strongest and clearest reason of all. Jesus commanded it. Make no mistake about it. Jesus didn't make this an optional extra in the Christian life. Sure, if you've trusted him as your savior and you die without being baptized, you will go to heaven. That's very, very clear from the New Testament. But in terms of being an obedient Christian, in terms of doing what Jesus tells you to do, there really is no option. What does he say in Matthew 28, 19 and 20? Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Now I've just remembered that whenever we see the word therefore, we should look and see what it's there for. Why did Jesus say therefore? He's just said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. That's a very strong statement. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So this risen Christ, who's been given authority in heaven and on earth, the last thing he says to his disciples, as recorded in Matthew's gospel, is that they are to go and make disciples of all nations and that they should baptize them and that they should teach them to obey what Jesus had commanded them, which is, of course, to be baptized. It couldn't really be any clearer. So this is the very strong conclusion I have to come to. To refuse to be baptized is to disobey Jesus. I mean, what else can I say? To delay one's decision to be baptized is to continue in disobedience. Now, I, you know, I, I do know some, I've seen some of you be baptized. <laughs> I don't know who's been baptized here and who hasn't. I know some who have. I don't know who hasn't. I'm not having a go at anybody. I'm simply saying to you, on the authority of God's word, this is what it says. Let's move on to the next point, which actually is going to be very brief. It's the connection between baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in our text for this, these three talks, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes called baptism in the spirit. So there's a baptism in water, there's a baptism in the spirit. Jesus talks about water baptism and spirit baptism in Acts 1 verses 4 and 5. Okay, baptism in the spirit is different. It's not the same thing. It's different from being baptized in water and we'll be talking about it next week. There's a very important link between them, and there are quite a few verses that make that clear. Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, John 1.33, and, and several more. With one exception, in the book of Acts, people did not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit until after they were baptized in water. As I say, we'll deal with that in more detail next time. Point number five, and we've touched on this already, Baptism is a symbol of, de of death, burial, 
and resurrection. So let's take a look at some verses in Romans 6. In verse 2, we are told that as Christians, we are dead to sin. Our old nature, verse 6, was crucified with Christ. Now this is quite a difficult doctrine to understand. It's part of what's called our identification with Christ. And the best way I can explain it is this. When you ask Jesus to be your saviour, you recognise that he died in your place. And so by accepting him and his death for you, you were identifying yourself with him. And he identifies himself with you. And the Bible talks about Christians as being in Christ. So Christ is in me and I'm in Christ. And this happens when I'm saved. So then Paul argues, and this is the hard bit to understand in a way, because we're identified with Christ, there's a sense in which when Christ died, we died. There's a sense in which when he rose from the dead, we were raised from the dead. There are quite a few verses in the New Testament on this, that we've come alive in Christ. And one day, even our bodies will be raised as Christ's body was raised. But in between dying and being raised from the dead, something else has to happen. It's burial. And it's by baptism that we are, figuratively at least, buried with Christ. That's what Paul seems to be saying in these verses. So we are dead to sin. Our old sinful nature, the flesh if you like, was crucified with Christ. So because we are dead to sin, we've got to count ourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God, Romans 6.11. So, putting this as simply as I can, a dead body cannot sin. That's for sure. It can't, for example, tell lies. It can't kill. It can't steal. A dead body is incapable of sinning. So, since the Bible tells us to think of ourselves as dead, as far as sin is concerned, you say to yourself... I'm dead to sin, so I can't lie. I'm dead to sin, so I can't kill. I'm dead to sin, so I can't steal. I'm dead to sin, so I can't commit adultery. And so we could go on. Think of yourself as dead to sin and alive to God. So when you're tempted, you say, no, I'm dead to sin. I'm only alive for God. As far as sin is concerned, I am dead. And a Pentecostal preacher, friend of mine, George Forrester, some of you may have heard of him years ago, uh, he told us once when he was preaching, every morning when he wakes up, the first thing he says is, Hallelujah, I am dead. Strange thing to say, but reminding himself the old self is dead. He's got a new personality entirely, if you like, in Christ. All right. And as long, you say, but I do go on sinning. Yeah. But as long as you think of yourself as dead to sin, you will be. You don't have to do it. So, the thing about dead people is that they have to be buried. In Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul tells us that we're buried by baptism into Christ's death. So, baptism is a picture or a symbol of the burial and resurrection of Christ. So, when you're baptized, you're showing your identification and union with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. 
We too are dead to sin. We must therefore be buried in baptism. As we come up out of the water, we come up, so to speak, out of the grave, raised from the dead old life to live a new life free from sin. How wonderful. And just to go back to sprinkling for a minute, there's no way that sprinkling can possibly convey that imagery. Which brings me to my final point. And this one I'm not quite so sure of as I have been about everything else. And that is what I've called God's motive. Because I must admit, it does seem a bit odd that God should tell us to get wet. I mean, okay, yes, believe in Jesus, repent. That, that, that sort of said, but what's all this about getting in water and getting wet and coming up out of it? Why, why has God told us to do that? It just seems a rather strange thing to do. Well, I'll just say in passing, we've taken communion this morning and maybe eating a little drop of a little bit of bread and drinking a little drop of wine um, seemed a bit odd too. But we do things out of obedience to God. We do things out of obedience of God, not because we understand why God has told us to do them. So I'm going to make a suggestion, because, see, the Bible doesn't actually tell us why God has commanded these things. <laughs> but why does God command baptism? It should be enough that he's told us to do it, and so we do it. Ours not to reason why. Ours but to do and die, if you know the charge of the light brigade. <laughs> yes, and in a sense that's right, because, you see, it's dying to self. Hmm. Well, I'm going to suggest this. I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure it's not far wrong. Why do I say I can't prove it? Because I can't actually find it written in the Bible, and I will only basically teach what I find in the Bible. So I'm being very clear now. This is my idea. It may have been other people's ideas as well. But, uh, it's a psychological fact that we remember relatively little of what we hear. Even if you've enjoyed my message this morning, you won't remember half of it. Uh, well, you can listen again on the podcast, and if you listen through three or four times, you might remember quite a bit. Okay. But it's true. We, we remember relatively little of what we hear. We do remember rather more of what we hear and see. So if you've been watching the screen, it may just be that there's more of the message getting into you because you're seeing what I'm saying as well as hearing what I'm saying. Hey, but here's a fact. We remember even more of what we hear and see and take part in. And if you've got involved in something, you will know you remember that something much more than if you just heard somebody or watched somebody. Singing in a choir. You won't believe this, but I once sang in a choir. It was under compulsion when I was a teenager and the youth, all the youth had to be in the choir. So I sang very, very quietly as I was probably singing out of tune. But I'll tell you something. It's one thing to watch people singing. It's another thing to hear people singing. It's quite another thing to get involved and sing it yourself. And when you sing it yourself, you remember it. That's why it's so important the songs we sing should be scriptural and therefore sounds theology, so that what we're remembering, we're remembering is correct. Yes. So what's all this got to do with baptism? Well, you see, in baptism, you don't merely hear that you are dead, but you see and take part in your own burial service. And so when three of our friends were baptized in the sea a few weeks ago, 
and I watched them, I actually was remembering my own baptismal service, how I made a public confession at the age of 14 and a declaration that Christ was my saviour. David Petz, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your saviour, your Lord and your God? And I said, I do. And the minister said, then on your repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And he dipped me under the water and I got wet. And I came up out of the water. And to be honest, I didn't feel particularly different, but I was glad. Why? Because I'd obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. So... We've looked at quite a few reasons. The strongest one of all is quite simply, Jesus commands it. And the only way to fulfill the command of the Lord Jesus is to be baptized as a believer. So here's the summary. Jesus commanded his disciples to make disciples and to baptize them. So it follows that all followers of Jesus should be baptized. But the word baptize means to immerse. It cannot mean sprinkle. So if you've only been baptized... If you've been immersed. What's more, there's no such thing as infant baptism in the Bible. Baptism is for those who already repented, believed, and become disciples. So here's my little challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus and have not been immersed in water since you came to faith in Christ, isn't it time that you were? Now, I'm not going to make an appeal for hands up. I'm going to make one more statement. Please don't say... Well, David, that's very interesting. I'm going to pray about that. How dare you? You don't need to pray about it, surely. If you say, I'm going to pray about this, you're saying to Jesus, I'm not quite sure you meant what you said, so I'm going to ask you whether you meant what you said. Sorry, but that's the logic. Lord, I just pray for all who've heard my word, which I believe is your word. For all those who have already been baptized, that something of the significance of what they did in obedience to you should have come alive afresh, and that we shall be encouraged to remember that we died with Christ. By baptism, we were buried with Christ, and that we can live in newness of life. And I pray for those who have not yet been baptized, that they will quite simply see it's something they ought to do in obedience to Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.